Man, man. Good worship. Mm. Everybody say, mm. Mm. <laughs> you know, the thing that for so many of us has hidden us from the beauty of God and the goodness of God has been our, what we've been talking about in this series, uh, and particularly over the last couple of weeks, and that is the, our own desire to and efforts to be good. You know, when you, when you mix in your attempts to be good, somehow, you, you know, we have the hardest time dying to that, removing that from the equation. When you keep trying to be good, when God's already been good, <laughs> he's already shown you, he's already taken care of all of your goodness through Christ. And then it, it hides the beauty of who Christ is. Uh, so I, I want to just encourage us all today to totally embrace the grace of God and the gift of God of justification, which ultimately can be defined as the righteousness of God or perfection that's been given to you in Christ Jesus. If you've made a once-in-a-lifetime, once once-for-all decision to, to receive the free gift that God has given you in Christ, then it's done. You are perfect in God's eyes. And so we can sing together, you know, we have a good, good father. But it's, whenever we view God as being a God who's constantly looking down on us and saying, you're a failure, you're a failure, you're a failure. Do better, do better. Until you do better, you're, I'm not going to bless you. Man, that, that totally ruins the whole picture, right, of who God is. So I, I hope today's message again will... Encourage us to move beyond that, to get, get done with our own righteousness and to totally depend on the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us and that stands in, in our defense and on our behalf. When God looks at you, he sees Christ if you're God's child. That's a beautiful picture. Uh, and he is perfect in all of his ways. And it's interesting today uh, that one of the readings that we had this morning and, and it goes so well with the message today. There's a, there's a little twist in the message today in the story that, that's going to be very familiar to you guys, but a little twist that God's given me this week regarding this message. Well, actually, a couple of twists. One of them is not mine. It's one that I have read and studied and gotten from someone, but another one is, is just one that God revealed this week. Two good twists today, but one of those is going to show us just his ways. And, and when the Bible says that his ways are perfect, or his ways are higher than ours, ours and his thoughts uh, are higher than ours what I've come to understand and many of you have too is that means crazy right God's ways are, are crazy compared to our ways they're they're just they, they blow our minds we don't understand them and, and when we say God is leading us to do something and we know it's God and, and his way is it, it, he communicates to us clearly and is consistent with his word and we are determined in our hearts because of the faith we have in him to move forward into that, whatever it is, craziness. The world looks at us and says, crazy. They don't look at us and say, oh, that's logical. That's reasonable. That's smart. Good, good choice. You know, you, you weighed it in the balance and the pros and cons, and you came out with the best one. They usually say, are you nuts? And God always calls us to do that kind of stuff. And he's done it historically. Go back in the Bible. Through the Bible. We, of course, we know this, you know, the abiding cycle. But God chooses the weakest member of the weakest tribe of Manasseh to fight the biggest army that Israel ever fought and gives him 300 men armed with jars and torches. Really? 
God tells uh, uh, Elijah to pour jars of water on a sacrifice that uh, he that God's about to he, that he's expecting God to consume with fire and fills it up so much water that it fills the trenches around the sacrifice. Really, that is not logical. And story after story after story. God wants to show himself, man. He wants us to know him. He doesn't want us to know us. He wants us to know how good we can be. He wants us to get over ourselves. And today you're going to see how he does that as we continue to talk about how God or Jesus receives sinners. Good news for us, right? Man, something the Lord gave us last week has resonated with me all week long. I don't know how this has hit you or how, if it's resonated with you. But remember when we shared the thought that what the Pharisees and teachers of the law meant as an indictment on Jesus, that, that the, the sinners, that became the, the song of praise for the sinners? Literally, Luke 15, 2. Let's go back to it. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. An indictment on Jesus from religious rulers and scribes and Pharisees who are saying, see how pitiful he is. He eats, receives sinners and eats with them. And the sinners are going, yeah, here's our song. Jesus, receive sinners. I don't know why I had to go that way, but that sounds beautiful to me. I've been singing that song all week long. Lots of different tunes, same verse. An awesome Awesome truth. And since we connect with sinners in this verse, all week long I felt a giddiness in my spirit. I've also had a number of opportunities this past week to help people who have not yet seen themselves as the worst of sinners. It's amazing this week how many people God has brought into my path who have held on to religion and their righteousness for so long, and they, they, they haven't been able to see themselves as sinners yet. They haven't been able to see the filthiness of their righteousness and their efforts to make themselves right before God and how that is an affront to God who sent his son to, to die for their sins, and yet they're saying it's not enough. Let me add to it. Trying to be good enough for God to recognize them. And in, in, one, in one case this week, we sat for two and a half, almost three hours and talked about how this bondage has held on to him for, for years and years and years. And he finally has had a glimpse of the grace of God and it's changing him absolutely, com, com, uh, completely changing him from the inside out. And, and when he came to meet with me, I hadn't seen him in years. Was, a guy was in our ministry past and, and called me up really because he's gone through a, a, a recovery program. And one of the things he needed to do was to tell me how fake he was in the past. Now, this guy nobody would ever thought was, was a fraud. Because he played the game well. But he had a lot of history and sin in his past that he'd never dealt with and faced up to. And he hid it from everybody. And now I got to the point where he finally opened up and said, God, I, I don't need that to be in a relationship with you. Matter of fact, my constant efforts to try to act like somebody I'm not has kept me bound up. And, and when it all hit him in a moment, after hearing about the grace of God, pulls over on the side of the road and considers that to be his salvation. 
and totally different. But he came in with his head tucked between his tails, embarrassed, ashamed to tell me about his sin, and embarrassed to tell me about his past and what he had, how he had tried to, how he was a fraud. And he walked out with his head up in the clouds singing my giddy little song. <laughs> Man, Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. And Monday morning, the verse that, one of the first verses I read Monday morning was, was uh, the, the passage where in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, where Jesus says to John, write this to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him, eat with him, and he with me. It's an open door to believers. God's knocking on that door, but so many of us have the door locked with works. We've got the door locked with all of our righteousness, and we can't see the beauty of who God is. And so we want to take that away today if possible. We want to see that beautiful attribute of Jesus and celebrate, legitimately celebrate today that attribute of Christ. Of course, there's still those around us who are still bound in the system of works and haven't yet seen themselves as the worst of sinners, and consequently, they don't know this beauty of Christ, and and this town is filled with those kinds of people. You are or have been one of those, depending on what kind of righteousness you are depending on. And so we need to help people not to go, not help people out of bondage. And I want to help you this morning, those of you that are free and understand the grace of God, not to go back into bondage. So Luke 15 makes it clear that this offer of freedom from sin includes us, all sinners, sinners from both sides. And today we're going to see how Jesus covers that, sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit, spiritual kinds of sins, you know, religious sins. And sins of the flesh are paganism, things that are uh, passions of the flesh. And so following the text from last week, Jesus shares three parables that we're going to dive into today, continuing this, this message of Jesus receives sinners and celebrate together, I hope, as we read them. Jesus offers salvation to all. So as always, let's find ourselves in the story this morning and let's respond appropriately to the truth that we hear. Okay, y'all with me? Say, oh yeah. All right, let's dive in. Now, we're not going to read the first two parables, um, but I want to begin today but with uh, some of the two verses out of these two parables, the concluding verses from both of these parables. The first parable was the parable of the lost sheep, most of you are familiar with. Jesus says, gives these parables in response to this, this uh, indictment of the Pharisees that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. All right, so he gives these parables in response. First is the parable of the lost sheep where he says a man has 100 sheep. He leaves the 99. When, when one gets lost, he leaves the 99 and goes for the one. Jesus was saying, I'm going to spend my time going to find the sinners. And this is the, the verse in verse uh, 7 of chapter 15. His fi- the final verse of that parable, he says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Wow, isn't that good? The joy that he's talking about in heaven. And then verse, uh, the next parable is a parable of the lost coin where a woman loses a coin. She has plenty of them, but she loses one and she sweeps the house and gets her friends to come over and help her clean the place to find this coin, this lost coin. And Jesus says this at the end of that parable in verse 10. 
Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The principle of, of that he's talking about here, this joy that he's talking about, is one who feels exuberant joy. It's described as joy that's too, almost too much for him to bear alone. It's, and it's, it has to be relieved by having other people to share it. That kind of joy. And what I've come to realize this past week is I've been filled with joy in the fact that Christ receives me, a, a sinner from both sides, a sinner who was a sinner who is after the passions of the flesh and a sinner who is after the righteousness of man. This week I've found myself rejoicing in the fact that Christ receives me and that my Savior and angelic beings in heaven have been making my joy look painfully thin in comparison because they've been rejoicing with exuberant joy, a joy that takes all of the host of heaven to complete in the heart of our Savior. Think about that. That's how... God views one sinner coming to repentance. Now, as we move into this story of the parable of the, good, of the uh, prodigal son, which is the third parable, I want to tell you guys that when we listen to this, to, when we hear these two verses that talk about how God responds when a sinner comes to him, when one sinner comes to repentance, he's not just talking about your homosexual friends in town or your... your uh, Drunken friends are those people in town that are, are, are atheists and have nothing to do with God and are filling themselves with the passions of the world. He's not talking just about the murderers on Skid Row or the, you know, all the people who are, are lined up right now in uh, our sheriff's, in our jail in, in, in Pineville, two jails in Pineville and Alexandria. He's talking about us. He's talking about a particularly... In this case, he's talking about religious sinners, people who are continuing, uh, continuing to depend on themselves to make themselves right with God, who are continuing to count on circumcision and feast and festivals and all those things that, have, uh, that Jesus is now coming to take the place of. They're still trying to work hard, work hard. It's the Sunday school and the worship services and the, and the Bible studies and the quiet time. It's all that stuff when it's not done from a heart that's passionate about God. Instead, it's done to try and earn something from God. It's those sinners. So we connect with that. The gathering place finds its name in this verse, Luke 15, 1. Tax collectors and notorious sinners gathered around Jesus to hear what he had to say. That's us. We are not the people trying to get tax collectors and notorious sinners in so they can get around Jesus. We are those people. And we find ourselves there today. So our parable of the day. Let's go to it. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 24. Before we dive into this, I just want to help us. Um, you know, those following those two parables, this parable... Uh, is, is what we call the parable of the prodigal son. But I want to talk about what prodigal means because it's not, a, it's not the biblical word. It is described, the, the qualities of a prodigal are described in this story. But really, a prodigal is someone who spins recklessly. Spins like there's no end to the supply, right? And Tim Keller, who a lot of you have listened to and read, uh, has a book called Prodigal God. He says that the father is the one who is the prodigal. That we have a prodigal God. 
He's the one that's giving possessions away. He's, he's the one that's giving life away and grace away like there's no end to it. He's the one that's giving, um, giving love away like there's, like there's no end to the supply. He's, he's the one that's giving it away in ways that make us feel weird because the people he's giving them to don't deserve it. That's the story of this. Uh, that's the message of this story. The prodigal is God giving his grace and his love and his mercy away like there's no tomorrow. Reckless in his love for us. So keep that in mind as we read the story. Here we go. Verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate for this son. This my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the story of the first son. The son we normally think about when we think about the story of the prodigal son. So let's evaluate his condition and see if we find ourselves in this guy's story. First of all, he was young. He was young. He was the younger of the two brothers. And we know that, that when you're young, there's a number of, the, of characteristics that we can all kind of relate to. But those of us some of, who are maybe more rebellious... And self-centered might relate to more than others. But I think all of us can relate to some of these characteristics. First of all, he had dreams without discipline. He had dreams and plans for his life. You know, some of us had that growing up. We thought, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow my parents' footsteps. Or if you're like my kids, I'm going to go the opposite way of <laughs> where my parents went. You know, dreams and goals for life. We're going to... I'm going to have it easier. How many times, how many of you the college students went to college and said, I'm going to be a doctor because I'm not living like my parents' school teachers live? Right? Sorry, school teachers. It's just fact, right? Pope. And, and you know, so we, we make plans and dreams based on, and have goals and, and determine where we are in relationship to our father and mother. We, we want to get after those goals as soon as possible. And so he had dreams, but he, he didn't have the discipline, kind of like Joseph did when Joseph was uh, a teenager and his father favored him over his other brothers and gave him the coat of many colors. And Joseph had the gifts that God had given him already, the gift to interpret dreams. And Joseph begins to interpret dreams and uses his adolescent mouth to get what he wanted before it was time. 
And what he got was sold into slavery, right? We have adolescent dreams. There's, there's this, this dream, these dreams that we have, the things that we want to be and accomplish. And, and it doesn't matter about what our fathers and mothers want. And many times it's the opposite of what our parents want. And we're not, we don't, at some point in this case, this young man didn't care at all about his father. He cared about his dream. That's characteristic of the fact that he was young. Another thing is that he had desires without control. He had things that he wanted to do, and he would use any means necessary to get those things. He had these desires that would, would only be quenched whenever, the, whenever he got what he wanted, so selfish. And so to add to those problems, he's going to receive the resources necessary to chase that rabbit. But all of us have been there. And in, in, in our spiritual lives, we've also been there. We've been in a place where we want to have our way. and We're living our lives and we're trying our best to get our own idea. Matter of fact, we live in a culture that says, particularly you guys live in a culture that says that if, whatever you want for life is good because it's what you want. Whatever you believe is good because it's what you believe. And there's nothing wrong with anybody. I sat in a conference a few weeks ago on secular humanism and was blown away by some of the videos that were being shown of college students at a university who refused to say that anybody in anything that they believed was wrong. They, had a, they showed a guy uh, with a uh, white shirt on, asked him, uh, what color is your shirt? He said, white. He said, what if I think it's orange? Am I wrong? And he couldn't say it was wrong. No, I mean, if it's right for you, it's right. He said, if... if if when I die, something like this, I can't remember exactly, but he said, if I believe that when I die, right before I die, if I say it came in like a wrecking ball three times, that when I open my eyes in eternity, I would spend eternity with Miley Cyrus and, uh, and have everything that I wanted, is that wrong? And he, nobody could say that he was wrong. You know, if, if it's right for you, I mean, Yeah. This is the world we live in, right? So, man, it's magnified today for you guys who are millennials, particularly in this culture, which is not a bad thing. We just need to help people see the right thing, right? And that is that God has a beautiful plan for your life. Keep your focus on the Father, not on what you want and what you desire. So this young guy had his desires and dreams in the wrong place. And so I ask you guys today, where where are your dreams and desires. Is it all about you? If it is, you're about to find yourself longing for some pig food because that's where it ends. Second thing I notice is he asked his father for his inheritance early, which means he had no concern for social norms because you don't get your inheritance till your father dies. He didn't care about his father's, uh, about the social norms. He didn't care about uh, having any concern for his father. And the fact that his father still had life to live and, things, and bills to pay and, and possessions that he needed. He wanted his share. So no concern for social norms, no concern for his father. He was self-centered and he was not looking up. He was looking straight ahead at his desires and goals and dreams. Third thing is that the father, I know it's in the story, is that the father divides his inheritance. All right, now here's the little twist that I got this week. The father fuels the fire. He throws gas on a fire by giving this reckless son 
who has desires and dreams with no discipline or control. He's not concerned for the social norms. He doesn't care about the father and the father's future or his family. He cares about one thing, getting what he wants out of life. Passions of the flesh, going after it with all that he has. He cares about one thing, and the father gives it to him. And I realized that even though that that, that these resources given to a man who has no discipline will lead him into the sins of, literally lead him into the sins of fleshly passion, that that was the father's plan. It was the father's plan. He knew. It wasn't that the father was ignorant. And Jesus is not ignorant. He knows that if he gives us, if we recognize the freedom that we have as believers to go and live in sin, that we will ultimately get to the end of ourselves. But as long as somebody keeps standing up there and saying, you can't, you shouldn't, you won't, you better not, that our flesh rises up to get what it can for itself, that doesn't do anything but throw fuel on the fire. And so hear your pastor today, hear me clearly, get to the end of your sin. Take your inheritance, run, go. Some of you have already done it. When you understood the grace of God, where did you go? First place you went was to go off and do those things that you were told all your life you couldn't do. And now you're coming back around because you're realizing there's no life in it. Look, whether I tell you to do it or not do it, you're going to do it. You're just going to do it at a slower pace. Get it over with. There's nothing out there apart from Christ. There is no life apart from Jesus and his plan for you. Everything else is is fake. It's, it's It's a facade. But some of you are determined that you've got to go live that life. And so Jesus said, he rejoices when this sinner comes to him. Look what happens. As expected, the son spent all that he had. No surprise to the father. His father lavished on him. He, he gave without restraint all the freedom that he needed, all the money to do what he needed. He gave it to him. And as expected, the son spent all he had. So spend all you have, church. Get to the end of yourself. But notice also, this man got to the end of himself and he returned. He got to the end of himself and he returned. Now, here's a key point. Y'all with me say, oh yes. Man, this is so much truth here that we need to hear. Here's what some of you have done. And I heard a testimony this morning of someone who has just done this and I'm concerned. Because when you get to the end of yourself and you decide to return to God, if you return to God in the old way, of going back, to, or going back to the Father and saying, I'll just wanna, I just want to do stuff. He realized his sin, but his response was religion. It was, it was a religious response. I just want to work my way back, and I'll just constantly be, I don't deserve to be your, your son. Good answer, good conclusion, but I'm going to work as a servant. Bad, bad response. Don't turn your repentance into works. You know what I think the big problem is for most of us that have grown up in the church is that it's the moment that God saved us and we knew we were saved by grace. God gave us his grace immediately. There was a church waiting to tell us a list of things to do and we we miss God. We miss the the continual relationship with God. God is not going to receive you and say, come and work as a servant. God receives you as a son. Look at what the father does in response to this. Even though he comes with the intention of working, the father says, no. He kills a fatted calf. 
He gives him his robe and his ring. He, he calls everybody in to celebrate because my son who has gone away has returned. We need to get that point today. We need to understand that we take away from the recklessness of God when we try to act like we, oh, oh we're going to earn something from him. You're not. Rejoice in your freedom. Rejoice in the grace of God. Accept that. Ultimately, that will turn you to a good place. So he met the Father who lavished him with the grace. And that was the point of the story. Jesus receives sinners. Don't miss the point. Jesus is telling this story to, to prove his point from the first verse. That Jesus receives sinners. And that, that, messes, that makes religious people mad. And some of you may be responding that way. You may be feeling that right now. You may feel, Don't say that, Glenn. Don't tell us we have freedom. Doesn't sound good. Well, it's what the scriptures say. We have freedom, and Jesus receives us as sinners, and he offers us the opportunity to be sons. How awesome is that? I wish that was the end of the story, and usually when we teach this text, it is, but let's go on and read the rest and close. Luke 15, 25 to 32, there's another brother. And we have missed this brother. I want to make these same points about him. Look, now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. You hear? I'm trying to read it like maybe this was the sinner who saw repentance. But watch the Pharisee. But he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, those many years I have served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came home, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. End of the text. Let's talk about the older brother. See what we find in him. Remember, the younger brother had dreams without discipline and desires without control. This guy, the older brother, he had dreams and discipline. He had his dreams, just like his younger brother did. He was going to be bigger, better, stronger, have more, but he had a strategy to get it accomplished. He had a plan and a strategy, and that was his problem. He had desires and control. And he controlled his destiny. He would follow the rules and get what, what, what was coming to him. He would follow the rules and do it in the way that was socially acceptable. He would follow the rules and ultimately he would get to have all that he wanted. All of his dreams would come true. I wish that was just the sermon of the world, but it's the sermon of the church. We say that. We say it all the time from our pulpits. Be good. Follow the rules. And ultimately you will get what you want. Add to that resources for his plan, and we're going to have problems. So what happens? Second thing, 
just like the other brother. And because of the other brother, he gets his inheritance early. The brother asks for it, so he divides it among the people. And, the, and literally, everything that was left belonged to the older brother because the younger brother took his and ran. There's only two brothers. There's only one inheritance. And the brother, the father says, everything I have is yours. He was concerned for social norms to accomplish his purpose. But he still had no concern for his father. He was doing all the right things, but he didn't really care about the father. He didn't care about the father's heart. You see it when the younger brother comes home and the father celebrates. He doesn't care about the father and the father's will and the father's heart. He cares about his and what he's going to get in the end if he keeps following the rules and obeying. And we're the same way. We don't obey because we love God. If if we're stuck in this legalism, we obey to get what we can get out of God. We're so afraid that God's going to take something away from us or not give us something if we don't act right. He's self-centered as his other brother was, and he's not looking up. He's walking his plan. So the reckless father divides his inheritance, and the father was getting his sons to the end of themselves, and he's going to get this son to the end of his sin. The father never changed. He always did what was best for this older brother. But can you imagine when the younger brother came home and the fattened calf got killed, which would have been his? Because he inherited everything. And they're throwing a party, a lavish party. And, the, you know, the wine is flowing freely. And who, who knows what else is being uh, celebrated at this party. Having this huge party that cost a mint. His money. That money would have been his. And you see his sin. And the father is trying to get him to the end of his sin. He's all about what I got and what I'm not getting. And what the brother's getting. And y'all never even got a goat. It's all about what he didn't get. The father's working his plan. He gave it to him for a reason, to get him to the end of himself. So the father never changed. He's doing what's best for that brother. As expected, the son points to his responsibility, points to his staying and taking care of the place. He points to his responsible activity and his his willingness to do the things that needed to be done to maintain the social norm and to do what's right in the family. And he brings all that out as expected when the father gives that away. The son already owned it and held on to it with, with all, both of his hands. This is what he was working for. And so the results were, it brings him to this point of realizing or of acting in consistency with his sin. I stayed. I'm saving my money. I'm putting stuff back. I'm going to be a good son. And he points to his responsibility instead of pointing to or using it to sin in sinful pleasures and the passions of the flesh. He'd saved all. He was saving all he could. And so the prodigal at this point gets to the end of himself. What happens with the younger brother? He makes a complaint with his works as the focus. They, they come to the same point. They follow the same pattern. And he comes to this same place that some of you are at right now. He comes to the place where he sees his sin face to face and he recognizes his attitude. And this son makes a complaint with his works as the focus. Did I not 
always obey? Did I not do all the things I'm supposed to do? And you didn't come through on your end of the deal. That's not repentance. He makes his complaint. He argues his point. When, when God is offering him, the Father's offering him the opportunity to come and be the son that he needs to be and to receive all that he needs to receive, he holds on to his sin of righteousness, self-righteousness. He never comes to the end of himself. And as far as we know, he lived the rest of his life like that. He, he refused the Father's grace, and he becomes bitter and cold. I don't know if you feel that this morning in your heart, but some of us who are holding on to our, our own righteousness, trying to be good enough to impress a God who's already satisfied through Christ. God, today, in this message, right now, why did you hear this message? It's so God could get you to the point of realizing he receives sinners. Be one. You are one. Don't try to impress God, gain anything from God by your works. He receives sinners. That's good news. Rejoice in that. Embrace that. Be one. You are one. You're not good. God is good. Even Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. Because he recognized that whatever you see in me that's good, it's the Father, which was everything you saw in him. (laughs) Church, we need to get here. We need to get to the point where we release all of this. This is a story about the grace of God, not two sons. The sons obviously help us to see two different responses, and hopefully you found yourself in the story. So the question is, are you celebrating the fact that Jesus received sinners? Are you celebrating that today? Are you okay finding yourself there? I can tell you this. You can continue to chase after the passions of the flesh and you will ultimately get to the end of yourself. Hopefully some of you, it won't be the end physically that you won't wind up hurting yourself or killing yourself because there is nothing at the end of that. But remember this voice. It's not mine, it's the Holy Spirit. Remember this voice saying to you, God has an abundant life waiting for you and it's in walking in his plan for your life. Remember that when you come to the end of yourself. Quit chasing the passions of the flesh. Some of you are believers, and you're still chasing after passions of the flesh. And just know, man, there's joy in heaven rejoicing when you decide to repent of that and come to Christ. But most of us, many of us today, are bitter and cold after this message if we're still holding on to legalism. If we're still holding on to our righteousness, you're feeling that bitterness building up inside of you. I'm not coming back here to listen to this guy speak again. I've heard enough of this don't be good stuff. The ironic side of all of that is I'm, I am so much better at being good now that I'm not dependent on my goodness getting me to God. You know why? It comes from the inside. It's like an open sore. Your righteousness is like an open sore that needs to be breeded. And it has to heal from the inside out. Yeah, that's nasty. I was a physical therapist assistant and one of them practicing that thinking I was going to be one. We had to breathe these sores to get the nasty skin, dead skin off the outside so it could heal from the inside. Your righteousness is that. See it as that. It's dead skin. And when you get that out of the way, then from the inside there's going to come this overflowing 
river of water that will be righteousness, the righteousness of Christ flowing out of you. That it's not there because you have to and it doesn't feel burdensome. It's a light burden. It's Christ's burden. It's him doing it through you and in you. It's, it's you being overwhelmed with him and living a different life. And you're not going to chase after the passions of the flesh anymore once you get that. That's confirmation. So church, let's deal with this message. Okay, good news. Jesus receives sinners. And we are the chief of sinners. Be that. Let God take care of you today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this story about your grace. We've seen two different responses to your grace today. And I'm sure these responses are happening in here. Some, some of those responses are happening in those, the same responses. We're celebrating the fact that you saved us from the passions of the flesh, but we're not celebrating the fact that we have freedom in Christ to work out our salvation because of your righteousness. But most of us, God, are coming from one, one place or the other. I just pray today for freedom. I pray that you will help us to realize that you have, that you are a prodigal God. You're lavishing your grace on those who don't deserve it. And like the father in this story, that you know what you're doing when you give us our freedom before we're ready, when we're still walking in the sins of the flesh or walking in the sins of self-righteousness. You, you give us our freedom. You set us free in Christ. You know what you're doing. Father, help us to respond by getting to the end of ourselves. I pray for the same prayer, that the same prayer would be our prayer this week. That we would come to ourselves and say, I will rise and go to my Father. Get us to the end. Give us a place where we know that what we're chasing after is not enough and will never satisfy. We praise you today for being a prodigal God.